Well, hey everyone, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today uh, to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation and communication. And we are excited to, to have one of our board of trustee members at Southeastern University, Scott Williams. Scott mm-hmm. is a best-selling author, speaker, strategist, international consultant. I mean, chief solutions officer of his strategy firm, Next Level Solutions. He has served as uh, a campus pastor at Life Church. Scott also has extensive experience with technology and marketing and entrepreneurship. Uh, man, we are always humbled to be with you and your wisdom and expertise. So thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm actually, I come here just so I can ask you guys questions. That's really good. I love podcasts where there's two brilliant minds and I get to ask you guys questions. Y'all think y'all are interviewing me. So uh, I hope you're ready for that. I, I think, I hope so too. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, you you are a tremendous leader and, and a great, great voice to us. Um, and I always, every time I'm with you, get encouraged and challenged. Looking forward to our conversation today. I would love to open up by talking about your past endeavors, especially in, uh, we're in a campaign season. Mm-hmm. Uh, midterms are coming up here in, in uh, what, less than 30 days here mm-hmm. or so. And, uh, you know, talk a little bit about your involvement in political campaigns and so forth. Okay, well, I thought that I thought we were trained that we weren't supposed to talk about race, religion, and politics. We're going to go ahead and just <laughs> we're start, hit it we're right start, start this thing right, <laughs> right. off. So, you know, my background, if I really talk about politics, is I, I look back to, it was around 1999. I was really just kind of coming to my own as a young leader. At the time, I was a prison warden. Mm-hmm. And just kind of looking at, like, young guy, young parent, what does this look like for, you know, 20 years for my family, making decisions? You know, you're black. You're basically, you're raised. You're a Democrat, period. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. My mom, that was her... And she really pushed like Democrat politics on. But I started asking real questions and like, what does this look like for me? And long story short, I ended up changing my party in, in 2000 and really got involved in Republican politics in the state of Oklahoma. I was actually uh, on the, you know, I think it was uh, the 2004, I was a delegate to the Republican National Convention uh, with, you know, Bush mm, Cheney. And right. so just, I mean, I learned a lot at that time, but I look back 20 something years later and look at just me being able to make that shift and how it's kind of impacted, number one, how my family thinks, how my kids think, and then how people that I interact with think. And so that's really when I kind of dived into politics. And so I basically, when I was doing some consulting, working in politics, and do, I became a lobbyist. And so I started doing everything from like political consulting, strategy work. And really, to be honest, I was kind of you know preparing to be the next black J.C. Watts, like the next mm-hmm. black Republican, you know, in whatever role, whether that was run for Congress, whether it was run for mayor of Oklahoma City. And then over the years, I just really felt like my relationships with really, really great candidates and really, really great politicians and kind of being able to have some influence there, I think was more effective and valuable than me actually, you know, diving into the sure. fray and actually becoming a you know, becoming an actually politician myself. My mom used to always say, Scott, you know, whatever you don't do, just please don't run for office. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was one of the things I decided. So I've, I've always been involved. And so, and, and early on, I was like heavily involved. So outward, then when I became a pastor at Life Church, one thing I never wanted to do, I never wanted my politics to interfere with what someone was doing, coming to church, them coming to know mm, the right, Lord, because right. people may have an issue with my politics. And sure. so I just, so I t- let that take a back seat. And then once I left full-time ministry, then I started getting involved like behind the scenes mm-hmm. or maybe a little bit in front of the scenes work. But so I've always had some involvement, work with some great candidates that are actually friends, everything from, you know, Oklahoma City mayor to, you know, congressional candidates to even recently a U.S. Senate campaign, great friends. And so so I really have really, really great friends in, in great places and roles mm-hmm. throughout Oklahoma City and out the state of Oklahoma. 
Yeah, and what have you noticed is kind of change as you've been involved and you've seen all the kind of sweeping changes from the political landscape. What is different about the candidates that we're seeing coming out now than maybe has been in the past? Well, I think you're seeing more candidates that are not coming from the traditional politician yep. route. Like a lot of times, people they come out, I run for state house, I become a community activist, and I do the thing. Now you're seeing business guys that are saying, "I don't like what I'm seeing. I'm willing to put my own money, my own skin in the game, and jump out and go run for office." So I think you're seeing that. I think throughout the country, you know, our current governor. I mean, he basically. We took the Trump route, business guy, highly successful, put his own money in. And so our recently, you know, received a Republican nomination. Same thing, a business guy, ran for Congress, owned a, you know, a plumbing company, highly successful. So I think you're seeing more and more business people. That wasn't the case 20 years ago when I got involved. That wasn't the case probably even 15 years ago. So I think mm-hmm. that's a big shift. I also think that when you look at these other, like these political action committees and these campaigns that are like going against candidates, but they technically don't work for the candidates, they can't coordinate it. So a lot of that money, what they call the dark money that's coming in, a lot of times that's making decisions. So you have these big, whether it's Club for Growth or whatever other organization may come in and drop a lot of money, they're really influencing elections. And a lot of times they're not they're not local. Mm-hmm. So it's the national folks that are coming in and making an impact on whether it's a Florida election or whether it's an Oklahoma election, whatever the hot seats are. So I think that's the biggest shift mm-hmm. in the type of candidate and what we're seeing with some of the money. Yeah, yeah, so good. I want to uh, talk a little bit about um, you were Oklahoma's youngest prison warden. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, y- you know, we, we see a lot of challenge and issues in our nation today as it relates to crime and all of those um, issues that are, you know, important to, to our nation. Talk to us about that experience as a prison warden. How did you, how did you actually wind up in that position and how, how has it impacted your life? I will say this. So I started off when I got to college in um, 1991, I started doing some you know, mentoring work in some of the inner city schools around Oklahoma City. And so I really got involved early on in that. And that's what shaped what I wanted to get my degree in. So I got my degree in psychology, my master's in criminal justice management and administration. So that was the direction I was going. I just happened to work for, I worked for a number of different organizations. I went to work for a private corrections company. And I had an old, I would say he was my mentor. He was an old retired Marine. And he'd worked in the field for a number of years. And and he basically just kind of, I became a deputy, and he said he just saw something in me that was beyond my years, and he took a risk on a 25-year-old kid at the time, and and I always, I always try to say, like, this acronym that he did, I call it, you know, Becky, like, he, he believed in me, he encouraged me, mm-hmm. like, that's one thing he did, he encouraged me, hey, you can do it, he challenged me, mm-hmm. he corrected me, and then I think the other thing, too, is, like, he inspired me, and so mm-hmm. it's B-E-C-C-I, like, yeah. I think that's important, and so he took a risk on me, so that's how... It happened, and I started off at a, a maximum secure juvenile facility. Worked at a, I did a maximum secure adult facility. Did one that had, you know, uh, federal inmates. Had a county jail, and they ended up going and working for the corporate office as well. And so that was kind of my background. It was, you know, in my world, that was kind of like the penultimate nexus. You become a prison warden outside of becoming a state director of an agency. You've kind of reached that peak because a lot of my peers were fifty-five. They were mm-hmm. sixty. And so really, so that's kind of how it happened. And when I look at how it shaped me, when I went into full-time ministry, I, I realized there's a lot of similarities between leading a prison and leading a church. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, yeah, a, right. you know, the biggest difference is that we got to go home or, or the other thing is that we didn't get caught, whatever that right. is. Sure, yeah. yeah. And so, I, so I, as I look back now and even now, so currently I sit on the, um, the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board, which every state has a Pardon and Parole Board. We're the ones that make the decision on whether or not inmates will come in front of us to see, A, whether their, their case is commuted, which means they may go from a 20-year sentence to a 10-year sentence because of laws changing, or maybe it was just excessive. And the other thing they come in front of us to see if they're going to be paroled, which means right. they're going to be let out early for whatever reason with conditions. Mm-hmm. And the other thing they come in front of us to, you know, come for a complete pardon for basically, and we make the recommendation without our recommendation, it can't go to the governor. Then the governor makes the ultimate decision. I think with the state of Oklahoma, we're a death penalty state. And so 
our death penalty, if you looked at the national news, it's been on, it was on a hold moratorium for like right. seven years because right. of botched execution. And so now what we're doing is we're, there's a backlog of like 35 uh, inmates that are set to be executed. And so now we're hearing those every single month. So we've done mm. about seven so wow. far. And we'll hear one to two a month for the next couple of years until we get it. So I currently chair that board. And so, I mean, I would just say it's just shape. Number one is that I think we have to be smart when, it, when you talk about politics earlier, whether you're talking about politicians, elected officials, or just, you know, believers that are saying, what is our role in this? We got to make sure that we lock up the people that we're afraid of and not the ones that we're mad at. The ones that we're mad at, a lot of times when you look at some rehabilitation, what are some things that we can do? What are Because we're it just costs so much money to house inmates. Matter of fact, like those guys that are coming and that in front of us that are set to be executed, these have been 25-year-old cases. So you have these mm. families that have been waiting for them. Justice, according mm. to the jury, was execution. So they've been waiting for justice for 25 years. We paid for all these you know, appeals and everything that's happened. So it's just allowed me to be able to see the system in a different angle and just shape, I think, how try to educate people on what it looks like, what private prisons is. Because everybody thinks, oh, private prisons are making money. I'm like, you know, here's the thing. Like, the inmates are going somewhere, whether they're a private right, prison or right. a public prison. It's not like they're just opened up private prisons to put them in there. They're going to be housed somewhere. And so what does that mean? Are we spending tax dollars better? So I just think a better understanding, and I think it just kind of helps shape, like, what do we do? What we look at for prison reform and criminal mm -hmm. justice reform? And because I do think there's some opportunities, I think, on both sides of the aisle. I think both both parties are are looking to what it could look like. I think President Trump did some things. We'll see what happens with his current administration. And yeah, so I think it's just shaped them or my view on it and just perspective and opportunity to be able to sit at some mm -hmm. tables to kind of help shape people's mind, especially someone that's a believer and kind of look at these issues from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, and when you talk about there's so many leaders that have young people in their sphere, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously you had your career because somebody took a chance. I love that Becky acronym. What would advice would you give to leaders in that sphere that's like, hey, how do I empower that generation to kind of grow and, and grow into the next? I mean, I think it's a responsibility we have. I think, number one, every leader right now that's listened to this, if you can't identify who are the two or three, at least one or two leaders that I'm developing, that I'm raising up, that I'm giving a shot at the table, not just saying, oh, like, you know, we're like a real leadership shot at the table, real voice at the table, even if they don't have the role, give them a voice to be able to have some input in it. And right. so when that starts happening again, those young leaders become encouraged because this young generation, they want it now. Like they mm -hmm. want right. what we got and it took 25 years of going through. They want it right now. Like they want what mom and dad has right now. So I just think it's our responsibility to always be identifying those leaders, raising them up. Even if you don't give them the position, give them the opportunity to have a voice. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important. A voice oftentimes is what these young leaders are looking for. Yeah, yeah that's so good. I want to move um, into a, a little transition here uh, from politics and talk about the NIL. You and Hall of Fame uh, coach uh, Barry Switzer have been pioneers in the new uh, name, image, and, and likeness space for college sports through funding, uh, what is it, the Oklahoma Collective? Yeah, yeah One Oklahoma one Collective. Oklahoma Collective. Mm -hmm. Uh, tell us about the behind this program and and uh, what it, what's all about. Yeah, I, it basically, it was a, a number of business leaders throughout mm -hmm. the state of Oklahoma, at Tulsa, Oklahoma City. We kind of came together and started asking the question: What can we do to be able to develop a collective that's going to allow University of Oklahoma athletes to be able to to compete going in? Number one, they're going to the SEC. Right, we want right. to make sure the coaches are able to compete because our role is not necessarily recruiting. Our role is specifically making sure number one that these athletes get paid for their name, image, mm -hmm. and likeness. So we started at the time again. Most people understand like NIL has only been like official for like 14 months right. like literally right. we're 14 yeah. months in now california and florida were, were they were basically trailblazers in it they had some legislation mm -hmm. laws out there ahead of time maybe back in 2020 
but in, it's, it's how we're looking. So it's like it's wild, wild west. It's new. And we started having this conversation nine months ago. We actually flew down to to Key West and met mm-hmm. with Coach Switzer. So, I mean, he was down at Coach Switzer doing Coach Switzer things, hanging yeah. out in, in Key West. And we met with him, and he basically outlined, these are some of the things that you guys need to do for me to get behind. I love this. I want to make sure I take care of the university because, you know, he's he's passionate about the University of Oklahoma. And he's even said, like, you know, I was making $24,000 a year. I had won 31 games straight, making $24,000 a year. And he said, hey, my goal is for these athletes to make more than that in NIL, every single athlete across the board on that team. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to make sure everybody did. So mm-hmm. we came back and put our minds together. We basically formed a 501c3. It was recently approved by the the IRS. And so we're a nonprofit, and basically we serve other nonprofits in the state of Oklahoma through NIL of OU athletes. And so basically we have right now about 50 uh, nonprofit partners. It'll probably be more like 100 in the next few couple months once we get everything uh, fully established. And so what we do is, so for instance, say for, and every OU football player, this is the key language, has the opportunity to earn forty to $50,000 a year. And because that language, because you got a lot of these people that are just paying athletes. Number one, at some point in time, that's going to bust NCAA. If they do have the teeth still to actually enforce something, there's going to be some problem for some of these institutions. I mean, if you look at what's happened at mm-hmm. you know, Miami right, right now, right. just kind of hear some of the things like, th- these things are crazy. And yeah. so for us, we started with compliance first. We have like our attorney firm that's represented us is the, it will be the incoming and attorney general's law firm mm. as well as another graduate that's an NFL agent they're the law so we started with compliance first and was very compliance centric so we did that and and basically we start so we're matter of fact we're developing some software on the back end that will allow us to track all these things so the athletes have certain things they have to do in their contract if they meet those things their money will be uploaded directly on a one Oklahoma debit card and so the sports we're doing right now are football Mm. Uh, men's basketball, softball. We'll be announcing another women's sport next week, and so I, I think when we look at it, it, and the other sports are thirty to forty thousand dollars a year. So basically, football mm. players we sign, they get in their account thirty three hundred dollars a month if they do everything there's, that they're required to do, and then the other sports is twenty five hundred dollars a month. Now that two forty fifty thousand dollars or two forty thousand dollars, we're developing a speakers bureau, and so as someone who's been able to blessed to be able to travel around the world and communicate, we'll they'll go through a training, mm. and for those that are part of our speakers bureau, they can earn that additional funds because some people don't want to do it, but we want to also try to give them some additional tools in their toolbox whenever yeah. they leave to be able to do that because sometimes everybody's not going pro, and and with softball, obviously you know OU women's softball is the equivalent to right. Alabama football, right. Right. right? And so we looked at what what are they paying the average salary for professional women's softball? It's about twenty seven thousand dollars a year, and that would be on the high end. So we want to make sure that OU women's softball had the opportunity to earn mm-hmm. at the high end of that. Okay. So, so yeah, so it's, yeah. it's been, it's been amazing. So donors are excited and I, our big deal is they have the opportunity to make some money and make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to parents, they're like, this is what, because really when you hear NIL, most of what you hear out there is fake. A lot of the money you hear out there, it's not real. Most mm-hmm. of the deals you hear are not real. And it's almost like this is a real time, like Jerry Maguire, show me the money because yeah, it's, yeah. it's not real. And so, and again, I think these kids, a lot of times they're getting set up and they're getting, you know, mm-hmm. kind of all these things that they promise them and no one's delivering. So, mm-hmm. And so what, I mean, what advice would you give to students that are trying to enter that space? I mean, what do they need to be thinking about at this time? How do they need to be talking about it with their parents, what's kind of conversation? I think the biggest thing is, number one, is that, number one, understand the tax implications mm-hmm. of it. Like, I, I'm not a tax professional, but one thing we like, we have, financial literacy is a training we have to do. We encourage our guys mm-hmm. to go through. That's one of our key components. The state director for financial literacy is actually, her nonprofit is working with us. And so make sure that they understand that. 
Look at forming an LLC because, again, at the end of the year, Uncle Sam's going to be looking for his money. And so mm. you're a 1099 contract employee. Oftentimes you're on a full-ride scholarship. And so this is going to potentially impact your parents and them claiming you. It's going to impact you and your money. So look at all those things because if you do it right, it can really work for you instead of it working against you. Because And so that's the one thing we encourage. So really think about the money. And then also the other thing we're telling, don't spread yourself too thin. Like yeah. we have athletes that are you know giving up their soul for some – you know, some chicken wings from whatever, you know, local mm -hmm. chicken place or some clothes or whatever. And they have these long-term commitments and sometimes they're in perpetuity. Wow. And like in these agreements that they're having with agents, like people are forming agents, like a lot of times they don't even need an agent. Like you may right. need somebody to help schedule the calls, let your parent, I've had talked to some athletes and their parents are the ones that are helping. And those seem to work out really well because they understand the best interests of their kid. Not saying the agents don't, but the agents also, they're trying to make some money. Like right. every deal they do, they get a percent of the cut. So don't give up all the pie, be smart, mm -hmm. think about the money. And then also think about not spreading yourself too thin. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, we're going to move into our fire round. You're, you, you know what that's all about. You've been on the show before. I want to ask you uh, three, uh, three questions, kind of about everything we've kind of mm -hmm. talked about already, but just some quick, uh, you know, uh, gut, gut uh, wisdom and advice uh, for these questions. And uh, Michael, I'll let you start with the first one. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, college students in general, not just athletes, mm -hmm. what advice would you give for them to sit, be set up for success in their careers? You know, I think I think the biggest thing is it's all about decisions now. Mm -hmm. Make sure, I like to say it this way, make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. Right. Or, or make mm -hmm. sure the view is worth the climb. Right. In other words, make sure the decisions that you make right now, that your bank account has the ability to cash those checks five or ten years from now mm -hmm. because there's some decisions you make right now that potentially will impact you the rest of your yeah. life. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. good wisdom. How can uh, young uh, adults effectively – let's talk a little bit about balance. How can they effectively balance their work lives with – their personal lives, especially in the culture we live in? You know, I think that, 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 that those lines are so blurred right now. I think a lot of times they go into one another. We think about mm -hmm. personal and professional. I bet most of young people that they look at who they're meeting as a spouse, who some of their close friends are now once they get out of high school and they get to this college level, is there people that they work with. And so a lot of times there's so much crossover there. A lot of times their, their spouse is someone they met at work. And mm -hmm. so I think when you have that, those lines are so blurred. The most important thing is just schedule, schedule, schedule. And so look at your schedule, schedule everything, schedule your time for prayer, time with God, schedule your, make sure you have a routine and schedule. That's going to drive everything because it allows you to make sure that you're able to, if you can create some balance, that's the only way you're going to be able to do it with schedule because everything is so blurred, but schedule will allow you to create a little separation. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Love it. Well, hey, it's always a privilege to have you on the show and, and, you know, your gifts, your talent, your experiences, your wisdom powerful and mm -hmm. uh and we're grateful we have access to that here at southeastern yeah, university absolutely. you serving on our board it's always a honor to have amazing leaders like yourself so thank you for your service to uh to our university certainly i appreciate you guys i mean i say this all the time every time i'm with people is that you know i work with so many different corporations organizations and the way seu does things and president Engel under your leadership just the the innovation and how you do things, that's really, really key and important. You do things. It's innovative, and it's the right way. Because a lot of people are doing innovation, but they're cutting corners. Everything you always do is above board. It's with integrity. And I just think that's really, really important, especially in the times we live in now. If people can see that, understand that, that's what's going to stand the test of time. That's why you're able to come back year after year. I mean, it's growth. Or we're talking 200-something percent, just the success, the faculty, and how everybody's doing, like the culture. You can, you can feel it. It's that intangible thing. And so – that's with great leadership. So again, for me, I've served. I, I only serve on two boards currently, and so mm -hmm. I was on thirteen. And so the, the oh, two wow. that I serve on, I, that's the ones that I'm really, really passionate wow. about. And so, 
and I'll be here as long as you guys will have me. Oh, man. Love it. And that'll be forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, thanks for being with us. If you want to stay up to date with Scott, you can follow him on Twitter at Scott Williams and Instagram at Scott OKC. Any other place we can point people to? No, I think that's it. Yeah, I think Instagram is where I'm the most active, mm-hmm. Twitter. And so, yeah, so those those are great spaces. And so, again, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And look forward to the next time. Maybe it won't be three years or two years. I don't know how long it's been. Yeah. Yeah. A couple years? I don't think like two seasons. Two seasons. Yeah, two seasons. These seasons yeah. fly by. <laughs> they, they do. They do fly by every year. Hey, oh. great to have everybody join us today. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today on Framework Leadership. If you're watching on YouTube right now, now would be a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content right into your YouTube feed. You can also check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Engel at Dr. Michael Steiner or on Twitter and YouTube at Kent Engel. And hey, if you love great email newsletters, and I know that I do, you want to check out the Framework Leadership Newsletter. Every single Friday drops in great tips to be a better leader, resources, thoughts right into your inbox. Check it out. You can sign up at kentingle.com. Make sure you hop onto there. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.